Welcome back, creepy cats. Today, Jackie will be telling part one of a dramatic two-part story involving lies, sex, murder, and one sexy judo class. This is one of my favorite episodes we have ever told, but please be aware that this episode will have discussions of violence. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, all you Hellcats out there. We are back with another episode, and today I'm going to be telling Melissa a good old story that is very long, and I don't even know what to call it. It's just a long, long, drama-filled story. One of my favorites. And let us know what you guys think about Hellcats. We're trying a new, uh, a new theme of cat to call you guys. I like it, so let me know what you guys think. I like it too. Jackie I, came up with it. <laughs> I say Hellcat merch. That's my opinion. Hellcats are creepy cats. Yeah, mm. let us know. And we'll make some merch about that. But I got this story from an Anne Rule book. Like, if you're a true crime fan and you've never read Anne Rule, what are you doing? She has like 10 or 11 books maybe that are all true crime stories and so most of them center on like one story and then there will be like a couple more shorter stories after that she's like the james patterson but of real true crime stories exactly and the one um i'm talking about that talks about this story was called worth more than dead so all like literally every single note from this story is from her book so if you're in, and let me just say, this story is way longer than I'm even going to tell. There are so many details in Anne Rule's book because she actually did interview a lot of these people and go to these trials and stuff when they're happening. So definitely, definitely get your hands on that book. Okay, so the story takes place in this, well, we're just, I'm just going to start here. It's summer of 1980. It's summer. It's summer. We're in Oak Harbor, Washington. And this story, this part, centers on a woman named Maria Elena Archer. That's a pretty name. Yeah. She was born in Bolivia to a wealthy family. She was very beautiful, very smart. She went to Ohio State University when she was 18, but it was kind of too big of a city or a, like area for her, so she transferred to Oregon State and moved to Oregon. She studied languages, business administration, and psychology in school, so clearly a very intelligent woman. When she was in school, she met Dennis Archer. He was also in school, so they met in class, and the two were a match right away from what people said, and they began dating. He was a handsome guy who was majoring in electrical engineering, and the pair was married on December 27th, 1969. Power couple. Yeah. And Dennis was a pretty muscular, like, bigger guy, and he joined the Navy. He was first stationed in Florida and then to Texas and then eventually to Washington, where the couple settled. They had a child shortly after moving to Washington, and Dennis was deployed Um, Since he was a military man and in the Navy, he was often not at home, was often deployed somewhere else. Maria said, basically (laughs) out of the 10 years that they were married, she was alone for about four of them, like four straight years out of their marriage. Like, I don't know, you know, I don't think it was four straight, but if she had to guesstimate, yeah. So almost half of her marriage she's kind of spent alone. I don't know if I could do that, honestly. Yeah, that would be really, really tough. Like, as much as you love someone, you're basically living almost half of your marriage by yourself. Yeah, and kind of in their shadow because you can't really move or, like... Everything in your life is based around what they want to do. Yeah, kind of. So, Dennis rose quickly 
in the ranks in the Navy. He was good at that. Maria was acting the part of the typical good Navy wife, and she was involved in many of the community activities. Maria was a very active person. She was into painting, reading, cooking. She did a lot of dance classes, various different sorts of dance, like I don't remember all the different types that the book said, but yeah, different sorts of dance classes. Aerobics, because it's the 80s. You know, damn well she's doing the aerobics. Yeah, I'm sure she was. And I think, like, she did, like, like ballroom dance, maybe. Mm. Like, different, like, salsa, different actual forms of dance. She liked to take classes in that. Classy. And she directed Spanish nights at the offer- Officers Club. Oh Yeah, so she was really involved into the whole thing, the whole military lifestyle, all of it. Played a good wife, was a good part in the community. But the couple did eventually begin to have problems, as I'm sure many couples do, if one is away from the majority of the time. Yeah. Maria said that Dennis took his job a little too seriously, And he didn't really want to deal with the marital issues. He kind of just wanted to act like they didn't exist, I think. So the two did go to marriage counseling for some years, but it just seemed that their marriage lacked a good sense of honest communication. Maria was never unfaithful or anything like that, and she said that she stayed busy so she wouldn't think about sex or, like, missing her husband or anything like that. But I just think that Dennis never really opened up to Maria and was, like, completely honest with her in the way that she wanted. What do you mean, like, open up and be honest to her? About I just what? don't, about, like, I guess his feelings towards the marriage. Like, I just think that she was more <laughs> like, I'm unhappy because of this. And he just wouldn't He's not say. saying anything. Uh-huh, okay. yeah. So, in the summer of 1979, Maria began to attend some judo classes with her kids. Oh, she's going to have an affair with someone at judo. Oh, my God. (laughs) Sorry, I immediately was like, sexy, steamy judo affair. Well, she does go to some sexy, steamy judo classes with her kids (laughs) a couple times a week. The judo classes were really popular in the Oak Harbor area. Sexy see me too, though, on Saturday. exactly. (laughs) This is, like, a military area, so I'm assuming there's probably other single... Well, not, like, single moms. There's probably other military wives there who want to do sexy steamy judo classes. (laughs) Sign me up. Yeah. So Maria began these classes, and she was, like, very into sports and physical stuff, and she also wanted to take judo just since she was home alone so often to like you know for the self-defense aspect too true so she could protect herself if if that happened good point yeah the classes were taught by a marine corporal named roland pitra okay p-i-t-r-e is how you spell the last name so sorry if i mispronounced it he had a really good reputation and his classes were really popular and really crowded that there was actually a waiting list to get into the classes damn yeah so these are some i guess really good judo classes maria joined the class and was just like one of many students i'm pretty sure her children might have joined too but gradually something kind of began to change maria said that she started to feel a physical attraction just between herself and Roland, like the two just had chemistry. It's sexy, steamy judo. What do you expect? Exactly. And, I mean, he is in the Navy, too. I'm sure he's buff and good-looking. So let's talk about Roland. He was born in Donaldsville, Louisiana in 1952, named after his father. He was muscular. He was the third of six children. He dropped out of school in the 11th grade, and like his father, he joined the military. He had a French, my God, a faint French accent from growing up in Louisiana. I like you're going to say a fender bender. (laughs) He got into a fender bender. (laughs) No, he had a faint French accent. 
since he grew up in Louisiana. Oh. He was really attractive, people said. Growing up, he was really, really good with the ladies. But sadly, he had a habit of cheating on his girlfriends. And since he was in the military, like, it wasn't much of a secret that he cheated on his girlfriends. I think he was pretty open about it and didn't really mind telling the other guys that he cheated on his girlfriend. That's annoying. Yeah. There's a lot in the Anne Rule book about Roland's life, like, everything basically about his life, him in the military, all that stuff. I'm not going to talk about all that because, again, if you want to know all that, you can read the Anne Rule book. I was on board with Roland up until the cheating, so now I don't know how I feel. Yeah, that much kind of sucks. <laughs> but it also, there was, like, this reputation all through Roland's life that he was, quote-unquote, well-endowed. Mr. Steal your bitch. <laughs> yeah, that was, like, something that came up, I swear, like, three different times in the Anne Rule book, was, like, some person saying that they heard that he was well-endowed. <laughs> yeah. I love that this is, like, so common knowledge that she had to put that in the book. I know, right? Because it came up, I swear, like, from two different people. Wow. Okay. Yeah, but people in the military said that Roland did kind of have a reputation for, like, playing pranks and kind of lying, sometimes being what I thought was a bit of a jerk from some of the stories that people told. Yeah. But he was never a bad guy or anything like that. I mean, people he met in the military said that they liked him and said he was fun to be around and he was a good time. So... They never, yeah, they said it was, like, white lies and stuff like that, but no one ever thought he was a bad person or anything. So, eventually, Roland and Maria are so attracted to each other that they begin an affair. Roland is also married, so it is an affair for him, too. Roland has a wife named Cheryl. However, Roland was already having some marital problems with Cheryl, They were already having such bad issues that Cheryl had moved back to Pennsylvania, where she was from, with their 18-month-old daughter. I don't know if it's BB or Bebe, because the E's had those little things over them. Uh, I don't know, but I want it to be like Moira in Schitt's Creek. Bebe, I know, The Bebe. It might be pronounced like that, honestly. But... Yeah, Roland has an 18-month-old daughter and a wife who are in Pennsylvania. I don't know if, I don't know exactly what the issue was that Cheryl moved back, but they're already having issues so bad that she's like, I need to get away from you, Roland. Because Roland's putting his well endowment all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he might be the, the reason. So, the affair with Roland and Maria began in the latter part of 1979 and continued until March of 1980, so I'd say like a year. The couple really didn't, like, Roland and Maria really didn't try to hide it, even though they're living in a small, basically, military town. They were together in public, they would go out together, and they even hosted social events together. (laughs) So, around March of 1980, Maria and Dennis had talked and worked worked things out enough that she wanted to try to give her marriage another full shot, and she wasn't going to divorce Dennis, and she said that her and Dennis finally had more communication, and he finally opened up and said that part of the reasons that they weren't in a happy marriage was because of him and his lack of communication. So I think him finally being being able to communicate with Maria made Maria want to end her affair with Roland and give Dennis another shot in trying to work on her marriage. Yeah, but you better tell Dennis that girl if the problem is with his communication, you can't be out having an affair. I'm pretty sure she did. I think she did tell I'm almost positive she was honest with Dennis and did say that, yeah. And I think, well, so sometime in April or May, Maria told Roland that she was going to try to work things out with her husband. He was coming back from his deployment in June. And so at that point, she was, you know, going to be devoted to him again. And she basically said she didn't want to have an affair. 
Roland said that he understood and he wanted to stay friends because Maria was like basically his closest friend. So he wanted to just maintain a friendly relationship and he would continue to help her like babysit her kids and just help Maria out around the home and stuff like that when she needed it. Dennis did return in June and Maria confessed her infidelity at that time. Dennis said that he understood, and things, yeah, seemed to be good between them, too. I think Dennis was kind of just like, yeah, I understand, like, don't tell me all about it, and yeah, he knew, but... That must be so hard coming back from a deployment and hearing that your significant other had an affair, which I'm sure you were worried about the entire time you were over there. Yeah, That's I'd horrible. be disgusted. But... Yeah, my heart would be shattered, but okay. But he does forgive Maria, and the two seem like they're on the right track to make their marriage work. Roland, on the other hand, had his divorce papers filed. He got his daughter from Pennsylvania. I'm not exactly sure if it was like he just was having her for a while, or I don't know. But Roland's daughter, Bibi, baby, is brought up to Washington in July, and... Roland actually calls Maria in July to kind of catch up and see, like, how things are. But Maria, all of a sudden, didn't really want anything to do with Roland anymore. And she said that she wasn't very happy to hear from him. Uh, okay. I thought she wanted to be friends, but okay. Exactly. A little rude, in my opinion. So, on Sunday night, July 13th, 1980, it is 1134 dispatchers in the Washington area receive a frantic phone call from Maria saying that someone had broken into her home and killed her husband, Dennis. (gasps) Oh, God. It's rolling. (laughs) (laughs) Officers responded, and Maria seems, like, obviously agitated and upset. She leads officers upstairs to where her husband is laying motionless on the floor He's clearly dead. His shirt is covered in a giant splotch of blood, and the carpet beneath him is stained. The body was still slightly warm, so the crime hadn't happened long ago. It seemed like the motive was robbery since there was a stereo and some other stuff that was kind of piled near the door. But it was weird that a burglary would happen at 11.34 at night in a military town where, like, a military man could be inside. Yeah. Like, who would burglarize knowing it's a military town? At 11.34 at night. Like, that's not that late. Somebody could still be up watching TV, basically. Yeah. So the police thought that that was a little weird. Maria said that she had been out that evening and left the kids with Dennis to visit a friend. She said that she intended to stop by the store on her way home, but when she realized it was 11 o'clock already, she just went right home from her friend's house. She said that she entered the house, and she just said, you know, like, hello, or I'm home, whatever, and... She heard her children yelling from the basement in, like, franticness. They were in a closet and yelling, Daddy locked us in the closet. Oh, gosh. The kids said that a strange man had come into the house. And so Maria had, I don't know if she called it, like, took the kids to a neighbor or had a neighbor come over. But she took the kids out of the closet and got a neighbor and went to investigate the home. When she went upstairs, she found Dennis with his eyes and mouth open, and he was white. So she said that she knew that he was dead, and she kissed him and then went downstairs to call the police. Oh, that's so sad. I know. So police investigated, and they found tire tracks in the front yard of the home, but they were too faint to be identified. During the investigation night, like... You know, the police are there. They're collecting evidence. It's not a quick process. It's a murder, clearly, so they have to do a lot of stuff. Right. Roland showed up three different times to the home and demanded to see Maria, insisting that she needed him for emotional support. 
She's like, if I needed you, I would have sent for you. <laughs> well, yeah, and police are like, I mean, can you leave? Like, this is an active crime scene. Like, right. We're just trying to basically do our job. She could need you in a couple hours when it's the next day. Like, yeah, and he kept. He came three times, so Maria kind of said to the police, like, can I just go say something to him? And they're like, I mean, no. And they're like, this is all kind of sketchy. So police actually arrest Roland for refusing to leave the scene of the crime, basically. What? They search Roland's apartment because he's just acting sketchy. They don't find anything except for one thing that they think is odd. It's a spiky black wig. <laughs> They're kind of like um define spiky black wig. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure what that means, but for some reason it was odd. So, police interviewed Maria again. She now says that she actually wasn't with her girlfriend that night and that she was with Roland at his apartment. But it wasn't anything sexual or anything like that. Maria explained to police that when Roland came back from Pennsylvania with his daughter, he had really changed. Maria said he was super clingy, like, needed her for whatever reason, every second. Like, he just couldn't be on his own if it was because he needed Maria or he needed help raising his daughter. He, for some reason, always needed her. So Maria said that he was always kind of around that's so weird because I thought Roland, like, always had bitches or whatever. Like, I thought Roland always was with women and whatnot. So, it's, it's like, odd that all of a sudden now he's so clingy. Yeah, it is a little weird. Well, let's also remember, though, that this is Maria's story. Oh, true. This is Maria, what Maria is telling police, so. Roland's probably like, you were the clingy one. <laughs> So, Maria said that the day of the murder, she had run errands all day, but she had dropped by Roland's in the evening with the hope of putting an end to everything and kind of telling him to back off and stop being so clingy. Okay. She said that she talked to Roland from 9 to 11, and then she went home. She painted herself as a wife who had reconciled with her husband, who was sadly now deceased, and that Roland was basically obsessed with her and kind of an obsessed ex who couldn't let go. However, other people said a little differently. Oh. Since Roland and Maria were so open about their affair, they did have mutual friends. And some friends of Roland and Maria, who had basically been around the two in their relationship, said that Maria had told them that she loved Roland and was afraid of divorcing Dennis because he would want the kids. <laughs> Roland had also mentioned to these friends that he was thinking of killing Dennis and trying to make it look like an accident. He <laughs> literally is like, hey guys, what's up? What you been doing? I don't know. Lately, I've just been thinking this crazy <laughs> little thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just had this crazy little thing on my mind that I want to run by you. Like, so what would you think if... Yeah. Yeah, and it must have been enough. Like, he must have brought this up to his friends enough that they were pretty concerned. And um, I'm pretty sure that they actually went to a priest and kind of said, like, um, what do we do about this guy who's telling us he wants to kill his lover's husband? I was picturing him texting to his friends, like, what do you think? Like, <laughs> like knife emoji, hatch emoji, needle emoji. Question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> Al, let me know. <laughs> yeah. Hit me back soon. <laughs> Hit me back. So, um, yeah, he wasn't really trying to hide it. And the night of the murder, these friends said that they had seen Roland and he was very hyper. He wanted one of them to drive him to Maria's because he said he saw police officers there. So he wanted to go and see what was up. But the friends were like, no, you're sketch. <laughs> a friend of Roland's also said that he had a 357 Magnum that went missing from his place after Roland had paid him a visit one day. Peace. And I'm pretty sure that a 357 Magnum was the gun that was used to kill Dennis. Oh. How coincidental. Yeah. But police began to think that there was a third party involved because 
Both Maria and Roland said that they were together, and Roland's close friends said that he left their place and specifically said, I'm going to go talk to Maria around 9. So, police do think that there's a third person involved. They don't think that they just killed Dennis together? No, not really. Okay. I don't know why. Maybe it's the tire tracks in the front yard or something, like, that aren't Maria's vehicle, but... They, police, well, I guess the kids would have just said, like, (laughs) mom was there. Exactly. And they specifically said a strange man. So, like, if it was their mom, they kind of would have known. Okay. But then the children, I don't know if they've seen Roland before since Roland and Maria were so open about their relationship. So, I also kind of thought that if it was Roland, they would be able to say, That is true. That is true. I feel like they would at least, I don't know. Have but they, if they didn't know it was Roland, they would have at least. I felt like hear their dad say like their dad probably would have known who it was. Yeah, but at this point, Roland is like in jail. I think for the murder. I mean, he was just acting pretty sketch this whole time, so he is in jail. Well, and he was arrested for not leaving. Yeah, exactly. And when he's in jail, his mental health just kind of slips like completely out of control. He would talk to himself and mumble that someone named Targan was responsible for the murder. Targan. Tar Tar I don't know if it's Targan or Targin. T A R G A N. This uh person was responsible for Dennis's murder. And Roland seemed to kind of slip into a catatonic or catonic state, whatever that word is. He was just like I don't know, a vegetable. What? Which From not, just being in jail? Yeah, which I'm, I don't know how that happens so fast, if it's legit. I don't know if Roland is acting, but... What the fuck is going on in the story? Yeah. So police learned that Roland did have a friend from New Orleans come and visit him around the time of Dennis's murder, which okay. they were like, hmm. On July 12th and 13th, he had a friend who was named Stephen Godry, who was 26 years old, staying with him. And on September 2nd, Roland gave a 34-page statement to police, which resulted in the arrest of Stephen and Maria. Oh. And before trial, Roland was actually offered a lesser sentence if he agreed to a plea deal. He could plead guilty and testify against Maria and Stephen for a lesser sentence, and Roland took the deal. Classic. Right? They always think their side piece will stay on their side until you guys are in court for the murder of the main piece and you turn on each other. In my lawyerly opinion... Oh, guys, she can say that now. (laughs) If I was Roland's attorney, I wouldn't have advised him to take a plea deal. They don't really have that much evidence on Roland. No, they don't. They They have nothing. Yeah, they believe he's with Maria. The only thing they really have is that he acted weird and stole a friend's 357. True. So, I don't really know if that was a great move for Roland, but regardless, he takes the deal and he is going to testify against Stephen and Maria. And Stephen and Maria's trial is a joint trial, so they aren't on trial at the same time. Love it. And this trial is one of the first in Washington to allow television cameras and stuff inside the courtroom in the 80s. That was all newer, so it was a big deal at that time. The drama. Yeah. But people did note that Stephen and Maria never looked at each other during the trial, and many wondered that regardless of whose stories you believed them two probably never even met so it's kind of not funny obviously it's not funny at all but it's kind of a little ironic that two people who have never met are on trial for murder Mm -hmm. the murder of maria's husband so roland testified that Maria had convinced him that the only way that they could be together was if Dennis was killed because Maria was too scared to leave him because she didn't want to give up her kids. Roland said that she first brought it up a few weeks before the murder while they were making love, 
And Roland <laughs> said, how can I make you mine? And Maria said, the only way I can really belong to you is if you kill Dennis. He's like, this well endowment isn't enough for you. Yeah, my endowment isn't enough. <laughs> and my sexy sex, wait, what was the class, the judo, the sexy, sexy judo class yeah. isn't enough for you? Sexy judo class isn't enough and neither is my well endowment. <laughs> So Roland said he bought some sleeping pills for Maria to give to Dennis or, like, mix up in a drink, that classic thing. But Maria refused to do it. So they both came to the conclusion that they needed a third person to kill Dennis. Oh, my gosh. So this is when Roland got his friend Stephen involved. And Roland said that he offered $5,000, but Stephen said he would do it for nothing. Why? (laughs) That's what a lot of people were like. But why? Just because he's a nice guy? (laughs) I have no idea, but that was Roland's story. Okay. He said that the plan was for Stephen to stay hidden away at his house for two days when he was in town. In the night of the murder, Stephen went to the Archer home at a specific time that Maria and Dennis told him and killed Dennis. You mean Maria and uh, Roland told him? Isn't that what I said? He said Maria and Dennis told him. Oh, sorry. Dennis is like, hey. (laughs) Maria and Roland told Stephen, yeah, to be at at the house at a particular time because Dennis would be there basically alone. And Roland said that when Maria came over, he said the two made love, but then Maria said that she didn't want to see Roland anymore. And Roland said, like, well, Dennis is probably dead by now. And Maria just said, I know, and walked out the door. (gasps) And Roland said that that was the minute he realized that he had been played for a fool. Oh, my God. I did not see that coming. Yeah, so Roland says he was played for a fool. He was played to kill Dennis. And, yeah, but on cross... Maria's attorney somehow gets Roland to admit that he once considered murdering his own daughter, Bebe, and had taken out an insurance policy on her life for $45,000. What? Yeah. And Roland straights up admits it and says that, yeah, he considered killing his own daughter for the money, but he didn't end up going through with the plan. What the hell is wrong with him? I don't know, but it obviously makes him look like shit. Rolly, get it together. (laughs) Maria testified that she had seen Roland every day for the two weeks that led up to Dennis's murder. But she said it was because he was obsessed with her and was following her everywhere. Clingy. As to her statements the night of the murder about being with a friend instead of actually being with Roland... Maria said that she didn't remember any of that because she was on a Valium. I was just on that B the other day. Don't mind that. That statement I said. Yeah, I don't really know why you would be on a Valium right after finding out that your husband was murdered and then you would go talk to the police voluntarily. Maybe that was like she took it to make herself feel better after her husband. I don't even know. Yeah, I don't know. Regardless, that's whatever. The prosecutors pointed out to Maria that Dennis had various life insurance policies and that prior to his death, Dennis might have been considering moving out of their home into a mobile home that the Archers owned, but Maria had sold it. So the prosecutors also said that the Navy would not pay allowances if Dennis didn't return home, so Maria had a motive to actually stay with Dennis like a financial motive to stay with him and also a financial motive to kill him. Maria didn't under, she like pretended that she didn't understand what the prosecutor was trying to say. And at one point she literally said she just couldn't hear him, even though everybody in the trial said he was audible (laughs) and everyone else could hear him. So she was just like, I just can't hear you. And they're like, Okay. Oh my god. That I that's like <clears throat> I just love that that's your defense. Like when all the walls are caving in, I just can't hear. I can't hear you. <laughs> yeah, the prosecutor was like, oh, I'm this. picturing him being like an inch away from her ear and she's like, "What?" Yeah, what? I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> like, so, Stephen testified a lot, but I'll keep it short. 
He basically said that he met Roland in the Navy, they became friends, and they stayed in touch throughout the years. He wasn't at a good point in his life in 1980. He was kind of trying to pick up the pieces and go to school again, and he wanted to ask Roland's advice because Roland was a pretty intelligent guy. Roland said he wasn't doing so hot either, and he really needed Stephen to come see him for a few days in July, but he wouldn't say what it was about over the phone. So Roland paid for Stephen's plane ticket and registered it under a fake name, which Stephen thought was weird, but Roland was so persistent that Stephen went anyway. When he got to Washington, he said that Roland told him the real reason that he had brought Stephen up was that Maria said that Well, he basically told Stephen all about Maria and said that Stephen was really there to kill Maria's husband. Um, he literally did all of this just with the expectation that he was going to murder. Yeah, and Stephen said he told Roland it was ridiculous, but Roland had already had a gun and other supplies. I don't give a shit about your gun. I'd be like, I'm, you got me the plane ticket. Bye. I'm going to enjoy my little trip. Well, Stephen said. Stephen said he was persistent in telling Roland he would have nothing to do with it. And he said that Roland was so persistent that Stephen somehow, like, I don't know if he rented a car or whatever, but he got a vehicle and just drove himself home early from the trip. And that was Stephen's story, and he stuck to it. He swore up and down he had nothing to do with the murder that Roland was basically crazy and wanted him to do it, and he had nothing to do with it, and that he drove home. Didn't I say that before, that Roland and uh, What's-Her-Face probably did this together, Maria? I swear I said that, that they probably did this. Maybe I was thinking it. (laughs) Yeah, well, in the end, the verdicts come in. Stephen and Maria are found not guilty of all (gasps) charges. Oh, I honestly agree with that because there there is is no evidence, no real evidence. And all they had was Roland and Roland has been so shaky from the time he was arrested, literally on the trial, admits that he thought about killing his daughter. Come on. (laughs) Yeah. And I will say, I do not believe Maria. I don't think she came off. I just think she's sketch. Like, I'm sorry. I think I don't think Roland was straight up obsessed with her. And if he was, why are you going to his house? Like, I'm sorry, but cut it cold turkey if he's obsessed. But that's just my opinion. I mean, it's really hard to say, like, when someone's obsessed, you know, because it's, like, it's hard to put yourself in their shoes. Because men can be so unpredictable. But I do agree with you. It just seems odd that you were there for two hours with someone that you're saying you didn't want to talk to at all. And it's odd to me. If Maria's story is true, still, how did Roland do it? Yeah, because it's just Steven... so odd because even if you completely believe Maria and Steven's story, that doesn't mean Roland did it. Yeah. So something is not right from <sighs> all stories. Shit. Yeah, that is true. I don't think we'll ever get the true story of what happened that night. Really? But... What the hell? I thought you were going to tell me. I thought you would know. Well, no. Stephen and Maria are found not guilty, and Roland gets a 35-year maximum for his plea deal. Which, why? I don't think that was a good idea for Roland, but... (laughs) Wow. So, out of this whole thing, Roland is the one who really, like, got screwed. Yep. Wow. Yep. Roland is sentenced to a 35-year maximum. Damn. Now, let's go to another person in this story what let's go to cheryl roland's wife (gasps) i forgot he was yeah so roland well technically he's divorced now but cheryl never stopped loving roland she truly loved roland with all her heart and when roland (gasps) did she kill what no Oh. <laughs> no. When like, Roland, she fucking murdered no, she didn't. When Roland was sentenced, he... Uh, he... So, okay, let me backtrack. <laughs> Sorry. So Cheryl basically just, like, never stopped loving Roland. She remembers them when Roland had even proposed to her. She was very surprised. 
and she kind of thought that Roland was out of her league, I'd say. She did not expect Roland to propose to her and want to marry her. While Maria was very slender and very pretty, Cheryl was more plain and a little more built. But she really loved Roland, and while Roland was incarcerated, he wrote Cheryl some love letters saying that he was sorry and that he wanted to be with her again and wanted to be a father to their child, baby. <laughs> and the two remarried in December of 1981 when Roland is in prison. He's like, that, put that one time I thought about killing Bebe behind you and just rekindle. Come yeah, on. I don't really know what Cheryl had to think about that. Yeah, that was one time I took out that insurance policy and almost killed Bebe. Yeah, but in the mid-80s, Cheryl moves back to Washington to be closer to Roland. Oh my god, Cheryl. For whenever he gets released, and she basically just devotes her life to Roland all over again. Is she going to kill Maria? That's what I think is going to happen. Don't tell me, but okay, that's my that's my guess right now. <laughs> so Cheryl got a job at Bay Ford, which was a used car dealership in Washington. She is starting her life anew in Washington, basically. But she was amazing at her job. People said she was a whiz at math. She did very, very well. She was nice to everybody. Cheryl's a great woman, from all accounts. Okay. She impressed her bosses, everyone. She worked with this guy named Greg, who them two became pretty close friends, and Cheryl kind of opened up and did let Greg know about her situation with Roland, and, like, told Greg the real reason that Roland was locked up, but everyone else, I think she said, you know, my man is incarcerated, but she did not say why, because she really wanted Roland to have a fresh start whenever he was going to get released, and she didn't want everybody to know that her man mm -hmm. was locked up for murder. She needs her better. Yeah. Greg recalls that Cheryl was as poor as a church mouse, he says, Aww. and she didn't spend any of her money on anything unless it was, like, somehow involved with Roland. <laughs> she was really great, though, in helping Roland. She set up a really nice home and got Roland a job at Bay Ford where she worked whenever he would get released. And she went in front of the parole board and testified on Roland's behalf, testified that Roland would have a home to return to, that he would have a job, that he would be a contributing member of society. And in June of 1986, Roland was paroled after serving only six and a half years of his 35-year sentence. Bebe, their daughter, was now eight years old, and she was really excited to have her dad back in her life. Cheryl was really excited, too. Oh, my gosh. Greg met Roland, obviously, since Roland was now working at Bay Ford. Greg was a little surprised. He remembers that Roland was more quiet and meek than what he would assume a convicted murderer would be. Who's Greg? Oh, her friend. Yeah, the work friend. Okay. I think he's more of, like... A boss or a superior at Bay Ford. So he knew he worked with Cheryl and Roland. Okay. And he recalled that Roland did bring more of Cheryl's personality out when Roland worked there. Uh, Cheryl and Roland would play pranks and like funny little practical jokes on people in good taste, you know. And they just said, yeah, Cheryl did kind of like become more of herself she would She's get herself blossoming yeah she'd get herself a little dolled up from when she spent money on her makeup hair outfits to Aww. look good for roland okay. so roland was working at the car shop on the week weekdays and on the weekends she worked at a place called pj's market which was just like a little convenience store okay roland was not very good at selling cars <laughs> so he ends up trying to go to nursing school to be a registered nurse instead because he's not making money at selling cars. Roland also sets up more judo classes at the local YMCA. 
Oh my gosh. If he has another affair and if it's with Maria, I swear to God. <laughs> no, Maria seriously wants absolutely nothing to do with Roland okay. like ever again. She just used Roly Poly for what she <laughs> needed and now he's out. Maybe. So once again, Roland has these amazingly successful judo classes in the area at the local YMCA. They're so successful that there's even a little article written in the local paper about Roland's judo classes. They don't mention that Roland is uh, released from prison. Roland got pretty close with some of these teen boys that he was teaching judo. And these kids really looked up to Roland and Cheryl. And, like, some of them talked to Anne Rule for the book and really talked about their relationship with Roland and Cheryl, if that interests people. They talked about how Roland and Cheryl were kind of like parents to them. Oh. And soon into all of this mix, Cheryl finds out that she is pregnant again, and she is expecting her second child with Roland. However, around the same time, Roland is kind of getting pretty close to some of the female nursing students. Oh, my gosh. I knew he was going to be having an affair with someone. (laughs) So, in 1987, Cheryl gave birth to Andre, their second child. After this time, the judo boys, I'll just call them, (laughs) noticed um, some changes in Roland. So, Roland did tell his close judo boys that he had served time in prison, but he didn't really say for what. But as time went on, you know, they'd go to judo competitions and travel and have to stay at hotels and all that. And the judo boys did say that there was one occasion where Roland got into a drunken scuffle with, I believe, some drag queens in the hotel. And it wasn't that concerning then, but, you know, just looking back on it, there were signs that Roland was a little aggressive. And they also said that they really noticed in hindsight that Cheryl was pretty subservient to Roland and basically did, like, whatever Roland wanted her to do. Yeah. But all of a sudden, Roland started to not feel so great. He wasn't feeling very well. And he told Cheryl that he had went to the doctors and he had been sadly diagnosed with cancer at the age of 37. Aww. Damn, that's sad. Yeah. And because of this fact, he suggested that he and Cheryl should both take out $125,000 life insurance policies on each other. Uh, okay, uh, I'm going to bet right now he doesn't have cancer, he does have a side piece, and he's <laughs> about to kill his wife. So, Roland <laughs> never actually gets an insurance policy on himself, but Cheryl does. As Cheryl watches Roland closer and closer around this time, she's noticing that he doesn't look different, and he doesn't really look sick. <laughs> And Cheryl also knows that Roland is once again cheating on her. She can't deny it any longer. Roland would come home, um, not say where he was, or he would not come home for a night, and the next day he would say something. But eventually Cheryl said that he kind of just stopped making excuses about where he was and just, I don't know if he admitted he was with other women, but he wasn't really trying to hide it. Came home smelling like liquor and hose. Exactly. <laughs> and judo. <laughs> so in 1988, Cheryl knows damn well Roland is cheating for sure again. She figures out Roland didn't have cancer, has never had cancer. He never looked sick, never got any sicker. In the summer um, of 1988... Roland actually moves in with his girlfriend named Della. I don't know if that's her actual name. I don't think it is. But he moves in with a girlfriend whom we'll call Della. She was 39 years old, also a nursing student. So she's older than Cheryl. Oh, my gosh. And she's, it's not like she's some young, hot thing. She's older than Cheryl, and she has two kids of her own who are 14 and 17. Cheryl really knew this time that things were over, And she, like, wasn't even going to try, basically, to pick up the pieces. Not after you're lied to about having cancer. Like, the affairs are one thing. (laughs) Yeah. Why lie about cancer to take out a life insurance policy? Seriously. 
But neither party files for divorce. They're kind of just going on with their lives. Roland and Della and Cheryl's on her own. Okay. Roland would have the kids on the weekends, and he still did a really good job with the kids. And Cheryl moved into a home that was closer to PJ's, her work on the weekend. Cheryl and Roland still would hang out sometimes, though. Like, they would still take weekend trips sometimes. It's weird. Yeah. On October 15th and 16th, 1988, it was a weekend, a great fall weekend. Roland was going to watch the kids because Cheryl worked at PJ's on Saturday until 11 p.m. And then she worked the morning shift on Sunday, so she's basically, you know, going to bed Saturday night, waking up and going back to work. Roland was supposed to go to the Seahawks game on Sunday with Della and friends or whatever of theirs. So, Saturday night, the usual customers at PJ's remember that Cheryl was there working. She acted normal, like nothing was wrong. She wasn't upset or anything like that. She basically had come to terms with the position that her and Roland were in. Uh She told a work friend that she was going right home because she had to work early the next day. And this friend had watched her drive away in her car that night from PJ's. And... That was the last time that Cheryl was ever seen. No. Oh, my God. And that is where I'm going to end this tale. No. Oh, I hate you. I could literally <laughs> see it. If you guys could have seen Jackie was just, like, having this smug face. She literally looked like the Grinch when he, like, has that wide yeah. grin and it just keeps getting wider. That was her knowing she was cutting off the story for me right now. That was me. I'm sorry, but. I cannot even believe there's a part two to this. Like, that was so much And let me just give you guys a little preview of the next episode. Give it. There are more crimes that Roland commits. This isn't even the last crime. Like, this isn't the last part of the story. So don't think that next episode I'm just going to be talking about what happens in the aftermath of Cheryl's disappearance. There's more. Jesus. I really thought for a minute this was going to be like Maria was a womanizer killing her husband. And then it just, like, went on a totally different, like, trail yeah it's a good one i hope you guys liked it that was fun don't look up the end of the tale on your own oh. be good sports it's kind of a hard tale to research anyway unless you have the Anne rule book so be good sports and i'll have another episode next damn time it for you oh my god i can't wait to, i can't wait to hear the rest of it i'm so excited that was crazy good i'm glad Ah, let us know what you guys think and let us know where you guys think this one is going because I don't even know right now. Yes, let us know your thoughts and we will be back next episode to finish the tale of sadly what happens to Cheryl and what more crazy things Roland will do. Damn, that was a good one, Jackie. Thanks. (laughs) We'll see you guys next time. Thank you for listening. We love you. Bye. Bye. Okay, bye. <laughs> Want to creep on us? Follow us on social media at ew, that's creepy podcast, or send us an email at ew, that's creepy podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, creepy cats. <laughs>